This is the GP Soccer Podcast with your host, Giovanni Piccini. everyone, Giovanni Piccini here, your host of the GP Soccer Podcast. Here we are, the Season 8 kickoff show. My goodness, uh, I hope it was worth the wait. We're coming off our our uh, usual two-month, a uh, month and a half or so, winter hiatus, as you all know. If you're a regular listener to my show, we take a couple of times a year, we take a little bit of a hiatus uh, in the wintertime and then in the summertime, and then we, we come back uh, with a brand new season, and here we are, brand new season. Season 8. Lots to share with you. Uh, A lot has transpired since uh, the conclusion of Season 7 a little while ago. Uh, You know, we continue to get some terrific accolades. Uh, You know, the greatest accolade of all is is you, my listening audience. You you tune in each and every week when we are live in season, every Wednesday when the show goes goes live. Um, But, you know, we're we're now uh, number 6. Uh, on Feedspot as the best soccer coaching podcast, which is which is kind of near and dear to my heart, because as you all know, I, I am a, a coach developer, a coach educator with United Soccer Coaches. It's something that's very very important to me. So to uh, get that kind of accolade uh, as one of the best soccer coaching podcasts means a great deal. And uh, we're also uh, quote unquote the best soccer coaching podcast of 2023 according to Player FM. Again, many thanks, and and that that goes to you know you, my listening audience, for tuning in and supporting the show, uh, and and I will be forever grateful. Uh, so great, great stuff happening uh, in terms of uh, you know the the profile of the show. A lot of changes. You know, when I take the two months off, I don't I don't sit on my fanny and, and do nothing. <laughs> There's lots that go on in preparation for the next season, and in this past hiatus is no different. Some small things is like I've kind of changed the logo a little bit. If you if you follow me on social media, you have seen the GP Soccer Podcast logo. I I've tweaked that a little bit, make it a little bit more streamlined. Um, some great additions to the show. I'm very excited to share with all of you that as part of a regular basis uh, on the GP Soccer Podcast in the C block or the N block, uh, Rob Ellis, my good friend uh, from across the pond, will be uh, will be showcasing his. EPL European Soccer Report, so you can kind of get a weekly uh, a weekly report from Rob uh, as to what's going on over uh, in 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 the EPL and in Europe. Um, if you've a, again a regular listener of the show, you know he's been a, a guest on a couple of times. He's been an author of a great book, The Soccer Coach's Toolkit, which is a, a book I highly recommend. Uh, he was part of my World Cup panel um, when we were chatting about the, the World Cup, and uh, now Rob is going to be a regular fixture here on the GP Soccer Podcast. Exciting stuff. Um, but, you know, the, the the biggest, I guess the biggest uh, bit of news I have to share with you is because of the popularity of the GP Soccer Podcast, uh, I've caught the attention uh, of a radio station here in the Boston area. As you know, I'm, I'm situated here uh, in, in Boston, and uh, I will be hosting a brand new soccer show called Direct Kick. 
It will be on WMEX AM 1510 on your radio dial, as they say. Uh, it'll be uh, live every Tuesday from 6 to 7 p.m. And you can also hear it streaming uh, on WMEXBoston.com. So I'm very excited about that. And that is a direct uh, uh, result of the popularity of this show, the GP Soccer Podcast, of which, by the way, I'll still be doing. I'll still be doing the GP Soccer Podcast. This is not going away. There's just another layer of soccer uh, that I will be involved with, and that being uh, the show Direct Kick. So I'm very excited to share that with all of you. It's it's um, I'm very excited because, uh, well, again, if you if if you go back to to season one with me on the GP Soccer Podcast, I told you my story way back when that would long before I ever got involved in the sport of soccer. As a kid growing up, all the way in through high school, my original career intent was radio and TV broadcasting. It's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get behind the microphone. More radio than TV. There's something about radio that I that I have always loved and continue to love. Uh, and, um, well, when podcasting became a reality, I jumped on board and I could kind of relive that earlier uh, career path, being a broadcaster. And uh, now it's gone to the next level where I'll be uh, on terrestrial radio, I guess you call it. Um, but you can also get it streaming, obviously, on WMEX. So, Again, I'm, I'm very excited to share that with all of you. And uh, again, many thanks for, for supporting the show and, and, and bringing it to a level of popularity and notoriety that uh, I'm able to uh, offer yet another show uh, around the sport of soccer. Will they be the same? No, they won't be the same. You know, so if you tune in the GP Soccer Podcast, it won't be you know the same show that I do on Direct Kick. Uh, they'll have two distinctively different personalities. There might be some crossover. Uh, you might, on occasion, on WMEX hear a GP Soccer podcast. Uh, we want to we want to share the show uh, on MEX, so um, you'll kind of get the best of both worlds. I think you'll enjoy uh, the brand new show on MEX WMEX uh, as you have always enjoyed this show, the GP Soccer Podcast. So. Heck, man, lots of stuff, lots of stuff uh, took uh, uh, took place in the off season here and the, during the hiatus. Um, and I guess the cherry on top of the cake is the brand new show, Direct Kick on WMEX. Um, I am very proud to uh, open season eight, uh, the GP Soccer Podcast, with a with a serious interview uh, with good friend and colleague Paul Payne and uh, his partner or associate with Dylan Artabel. And Paul is the founder of Red Card Cancer, and Dylan is the uh, is part, is with the American Cancer Society. And when we get into the interview block and the B block after the commercial break, uh, we're going to talk about their efforts toward uh, addressing uh, you know the 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 issue of cancer. And I, as I will note, and you will hear in the conversation, I don't think there's a person out there who has not been affected by cancer, whether you've had it directly or you have a friend, you, you have a family member, you have a colleague, someone in your in your community that you know that has had cancer. And uh, Paul and Dylan have really, really um, you know, taken this to a whole other level and trying to involve the soccer community to raise the awareness and to, uh, you know, wage, wage the fight to defeat, um, to defeat the, uh, defeat cancer. So you're going to enjoy that. So I'm very, very proud to say that here on, uh, Season eight kickoff show, the first episode that we'll, we'll be able to tackle, you know, that issue with Paul and Dylan. So there you have it, folks. This is going to be kind of short opening because we've got lots to look forward to. Giovanni Piccini here, your host of the GP Soccer Podcast. Season eight kickoff show. My goodness, I can't wait to, uh, you know, go episode two, three, four, five, all the way up to the very end of season eight, which is quite a ways away. I'm going to break for a couple of commercial messages. Don't you dare go anywhere. We'll come back with Paul Payne and Dylan Artabell.
cancer. We all know someone whose life has been impacted by this deadly disease. A friend, a colleague, a family member, someone in your community. No one is immune from it. But as each day passes, the fight continues to find a cure that one day will eradicate cancer from all our lives. One of the ways you can join the fight is through Red Card Cancer. Its mission is a call to action to help defeat the world's biggest opponent by uniting the global game of soccer in the fight against cancer. Together with the American Cancer Society, the soccer community is raising money and awareness for cancer research. If you or your soccer organization would like to support the American Cancer Society and Red Card Cancer, head over to redcardcanceracs.org as well as redcardcancer.org. Red Card Cancer, where a cure is our goal. Hey there, everyone. Giovanni Piccini here, host of the GP Soccer Podcast, excited to bring you some great information about a terrific coach education opportunity. The 2023 National Soccer Coaches Association of Canada National Convention, where the theme is Bringing Soccer Coaches Together Worldwide, will be held April 21st to the 23rd at the Churchill Meadows Community Center in Ontario, Canada. This is shaping up to be a terrific weekend of soccer featuring keynote speakers Joao Tralajo, former head coach in the Portuguese Primera League, as well as Boris Kubla, head of coach education for the Croatian Football Federation. Other clinicians include some of the outstanding staff from the NSCAC, like John De Benedictus and Richard Bucciarelli. Be sure to register on the National Soccer Coaches Association of Canada website, nscac.ca, where if you include the discount code of GP50OFF, you'll receive 50% off the registration fee. So don't miss out on this wonderful coaching education opportunity sponsored by the National Soccer Coaches Association of Canada on April 21st to the 23rd at the Churchill Meadows Community Centre in Ontario, Canada. Again, be sure to take advantage of the special GP Soccer Podcast discount by typing in GP50OFF in the discount code. Hi, this is Rob Ellis, the author of the Soccer Coaches Toolkit. You are listening to the GP Soccer Podcast with host Giovanni Puccini, who, in my opinion, has one of the smoothest voices I've ever heard. And welcome back to the GP Soccer Podcast, Season 8. It's the kickoff show. Um, here we are. I never thought of my wildest dreams, as I noted to you in the opening block, that uh, eight seasons ago, and uh, heck, I'm going on, what now, four years now, doing this podcast. Uh approaching 150 shows that uh, I'd still be standing and uh, I'm still standing. The show is still standing and continues to grow. Uh, and I always like to uh, to thank you, my listening audience, for tuning in uh, each and every week uh, to the show. And I couldn't think of I couldn't think of a better way to start season eight with this very first episode uh, with 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 these two folks uh, interviewing about the issue of cancer. I don't think there's anyone out there in, in the listening audience, and the listening audience is indeed global, who doesn't know someone who, who has had cancer or they themselves have had cancer. In my own personal life, uh, my mom had thyroid cancer. She actually had it twice. And then my dad had prostate cancer. And they're both you know, uh, cancer survivors or were cancer survivors. And so this is something I think that um, you know, is, is near and dear to all our hearts. So with that said, I, I'm proud to kind of introduce to you today's guest, uh, first and foremost, Dylan Artebell, and Dylan is the National Director of College and Youth Engagement at the American Cancer Society. And we also have with us Paul Payne, who is the Red Card Cancer founder and chairman. Now, the Red Card Cancer is a nonprofit organization that raises awareness and funds 
for cancer research in the soccer community, both nationally and internationally. They are a partner with the American Cancer Society and Johns Hopkins Kimmel Cancer Center in the efforts to support, to support cancer research and their mission. And it is a lofty one, ladies and gentlemen. A cure is our goal. So, Paul, uh, Dylan, with all that said, welcome to the GP Soccer Podcast. Thanks for having us, Giovanni. And uh, I'm excited to talk about red car cancer and uh, be uh, on season eight, which is tremendous to you. And then what you put together, not only what you do on the field, but off the field with this podcast is, is top shelf. So congratulations on season eight. Well, I appreciate that, my friend. I appreciate that. So let, let's start with with the obvious. I think where we start with with most endeavors, and that is why, 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 why was this started? What was the what was the driving uh, you know the issue or the driving force, if you will, to launch Red Card Cancer? Well, Giovanni, as, as you mentioned about you know your parents having being cancer survivors, and and I lost my father, and I lost aunts and uncles and grandparents, and. You know, since then, it's just continued with nephews and friends and colleagues. And, you know, it, as you said, it touches everyone. But uh, in 2007, my my mentor and my best friend at the time who gave my start in college soccer at the University of Scranton, our women's coach, Joby Kikio, passed away from melanoma. He had beaten it for 25 years. It came back with a vengeance. And unfortunately, uh, it, it took him rather quickly. And and I don't know why it just hit me hard. As I said, I had lost my father years before that. And when Joe passed, I, I I don't know what it was, but it hit me hard. And I and I thought to myself, you know, a lot of people talk about doing things, and it tends to happen after the fact. And I guess I was guilty of that. But I'm going to do something for my friend Joe. A um, little sidetrack to that. I was involved with the National Soccer Coaches Association as a board member, and knew I was going to be. In the role of the president soon, I thought I might have a platform and came up with this name, Red Card Cancer. Uh, in the soccer world, we all know that when a red card, a player is sent off, and it's usually not a good sign. And it just seemed to be natural to what we wanted to do to cancer is to send it off from our lives. So I coined this phrase and just did a one-day event on our campus at Bloomsburg University with no idea what it would morph into. And um, it had some traction. I had a young player who was helping me as a student coach uh, who built a website. And it was amazing. Social media was just coming in uh, a little bit more prevalent. And it kind of took off. And I think the name resonated with the soccer community. And from there, it, it just continued to grow. So um, that was the start. Never expecting that it would continue to grow both nationally and internationally. And Having the opportunity with partner first in 2009 with the John Hopkins Kimmel Cancer Center. And then more recently, the American Cancer Society reached out to me and saw value in the programming. And that's where we are today in 2023. Some other stories in there, but that's a little bit about how it started and where we are today. Well, talk briefly about your, your friend, Joe, uh, who lost a battle with, with melanoma. Share with my audience. Who he was, what he was, share with us with a little bit about his life. Well, Joe was, uh, he was unique. He was, he was like a big brother I never had. Uh, he was involved in women's soccer when women's soccer back in the 90s was first getting started. I, I mean, I don't even know if there was Division One, Two, II, and Three. And uh, 
Joe just kind of took me under his wing. It, it, it was an it was it was a smaller gentleman, but had a huge personality. His players loved him. The women loved him. You met Joe, you had a friend for life. Do anything for you, uh, not only for me professionally but personally. And uh, I said, I, I recall season before they were out in the uh, Chicago playing in the Elite Eight for the chance to go to the Final Four. And Joe was sitting on 299 wins. And they didn't get the result. I was more gutted, I think, after talking with Joe. He goes, ah, hell, it's just a number. Joe never got to coach his 300th game. And uh, it's kind of sad, but I don't think Joe ever was worried about a record. Joe was just worried about the people he was involved with, whether it's his players, his colleagues, anyone he met. And uh, I just love the world of him. And um, hopefully other people have Joes in their lives because uh, I think we all have somebody that touches us and you don't want to see something start because you lost that person. But uh, I wish he was here. I think of him a lot. We used to chat a lot after games, after I went on and became a head coach, and we, we just never lost that touch. And I still think he's around today every time I think of red card cancer. And uh, having this opportunity today makes me think of Joe even more. You know, Paul, um... I guess it's a little bit cliche, but in, in, in times like this and in stories like, like this, where someone in our life passes, whether it's a, a friend or a family member, and it, it can oftentimes, and this is, this is living proof, it can also, it can, it can create something that's, that keeps their, their, their lives going or keeps them present in our life. Um, you know, here we are, you know, some, some point beyond his passing, and here we are, we're still talking about him. We still can reminisce about him, and from that passing, albeit unfortunate, we have now seen red card cancer come to not only fruition but but grow in such an, an immense fashion. So you know, if there's a silver lining, I guess, and, I, and for the lack of better words, Paul, maybe this is the silver lining that uh, you know we can bring awareness to to cancer and, and bring uh, and keep his uh, keep his life front and center. So so Dylan, you are the national director of college and youth engagement at the American Cancer Society. What is that all about? What is your role there? Great question. And thanks for having me this morning. I truly appreciate it. And like Paul said, congrats on your eighth season. That's incredible. Um, so my role, as you said, handling our college and youth engagement is a position that I absolutely love every day. Um, you know, not everybody can say they love every day of their work. I can definitely say that. Um, so in my role, I handle our entire strategy for all of our fundraising campaigns for ages, you know, elementary up to and including college. So all of our amazing students, our coaches, our teachers, our administration, our national partners um, that come to us because, you know, as Paul said, you know, they've had somebody that has been affected by cancer, you know, myself included. Um you know, and they want to make a difference. They want to make a change. They want to do something in honor or memory of a loved one. And there's just so many opportunities. And with my role, I get to help with that strategy and help with the pieces of connecting dots, finding the best opportunities. And the other great thing is for our students, finding volunteer opportunities, which is so important to them and, you know, helping them grow. As volunteers, I have some, you know, that I started working with 
you know, as high school students, then college students to now they're in their own professional careers and getting to see their journey while also supporting a great cause is just so important to me. And truly, it keeps it exciting. Um, I always get to say that the age and demographics that I work with are the future. I work with the future of our organization. I work with the future of our great nation to get to see, you know, what they're going to do. They bring excitement because they're coming up with new ideas. They're keeping things fresh and fun. Um, and that's what we need in today's society. We need that fresh and fun while also being able to support a great cause, you know, and for us, it's, you know, we have that tagline of every cancer, every life, which is new to us. Um, as our official new vision, because we are and our students are helping. They attack every cancer so that we can benefit every life. And again, I love it. And I love getting to work with, you know, partners such as Paul for Red Card Cancer. It's just been great and getting to see what we're going to be able to do together. You know, you say you work with with kids from from elementary school all up to the college level. And, you know, in, in kids of this generation, and you might arguably say the last generation, have oftentimes been, I don't know, chastised or called out for being, you know, lazy and they're all stuck on their phones or, you know, they, you know, they're, they're involved with social media and that is quote unquote their world. Please elaborate on your answer there about how kids from, from that, the youngest to the oldest, how their energy, their enthusiasm, their focus uh, are truly an integral part of not only red card cancer and the work you do for the American Kids Society, but but addressing uh, the issue of, of of solving the uh, the disease of cancer in general. Are, are we are we are we cutting them a little short? Uh, should we be giving them more credit for their for their activism? I guess that's the word I'm, I'm kind of searching for. Activism. I love that you just brought this up. This is my favorite argument um, to argue with individuals when they bring it up because. I do not believe it's true. I see it every day that, yes, social media may be first of mind, but they also use it for great things. And it's definitely not the only thing I can give quick examples, you know, even by, you know, quote unquote, being in their phones or being on social media or being on their computers, they're still leveraging those tools. I've seen our high school and college students raise thousands and thousands of dollars for the American Cancer Society through social media. Um, I've seen, you know, we have students that are helping in our research studies. We have students that are, you know, I get to lead a team of 12 national students that help design our strategy. These are students that are giving up their time, giving up where they could do anything else, um, but they're giving up hours and hours weekly to help in the mission of ACS from our, you know, from our elementary programs to our youth sports, to our collegiate and high school and middle school chapters. Um, I see national youth partners that have come on board and these students are asking me for volunteer opportunities. So no, I don't believe that, you know, that statement that, you know, our students are lazy, far from it. Um, they want to do things and I see it every day. <laughs> You know, yeah, I, I was a, a teacher for 24 years. <clears throat> I taught health and physical education. I've been in what I call the kid business, Dylan, for my entire professional life. It's still in the sport of soccer. Um, I'm still, for the most part, in the kid business as a director of coaching education. I still coach at the collegiate level as a goalkeeper coach. So uh, I have seen generations of kids, you know, literally grow up. And uh, so that's very refreshing to hear that the, the, the folks or the young people that you're dealing with are 
are indeed activists, are indeed activists. And to, and to the, for those who are listening, if you're a parent and you've got kids and you see that they're on their phones or they're using their, their devices, you know, maybe you can encourage them to, to use that as a tool, as Dylan pointed out, a tool for good. And, um, and then we can revitalize that, uh, that, that passion for, for activism. So Dylan, share with me, because I'm curious, I'm, again, kids fascinate me having been in the kid business for all these years. What are some of the things that you, that you do, you organize, uh, let's say at the elementary level that is different than say at the high school level that is different, let's say at the college level, what are some of the programs, the approaches, the dynamics that, that uh, you know, are obviously different from, from age group to age group? Absolutely. So starting with elementary, we have a program that I'm excited we've relaunched this month. It's called Schools Versus Cancer. So Schools Versus Cancer is our beginning program to the American Cancer Society. Um, elementaries can come on board and we it's our starting block to the American Cancer Society for our teachers and our students. Um, we see with our physical education departments, they can host, you know, perhaps a field day or something fun in their classrooms. And we give them educational components around four activities or four um, healthy activities, such as physical education, good nutrition, sun safety, and tobacco prevention um, at that elementary level to, you know, help them along, you know, with their classrooms, with what they're, what they're already teaching. So we give them fun, easy fundraising ideas, such as, you know, the tried and true penny wars or hat days or, you know, pie your principal or, you know, get, you know, extra recess by fundraising. And then they have that fun activity that as a classroom or a school district just brings them together for a common cause. So that's our first step, which is schools versus cancer. And then middle school, we want to start giving them those more leadership opportunities. So we have what's called ACS on campus. So that is for middle school, high school, and college. And of course, that stands for American Cancer Society on campus. At those age levels, we encourage them to start clubs in their school districts, ACS on campus again. And by doing that, we help them with our four main focus areas of the American Cancer Society, which is fundraising, of course, because we need fundraising to do what we do. So whether it is they put on events such as a Relay for Life walk, um, a Making Strides, a leaderboard competition, a youth sports game, um, you know, or they come up with something creative on their own, you know, just encouraging them to fundraise and we give them those tools. You know, we want to make sure we're always supporting our chapters. But our other three focus areas, patient support, how can chapters help, you know, such as writing cards to you know, patients in treatment centers or to their caregivers, or, you know, um, can they recruit items for our hope lodges, which are places where patients can stay free of charge during treatment if they need to travel, which is because of our fundraising dollars. Um, we have our discovery and our research program, which is our third focus area. How are we teaching, you know, not only fundraising, but also teaching about the research that we're doing, you know, what can we do in the next best thing? And our students, we want to make sure they understand, you know, where the funds are going. And then our last one is our advocacy. So, you know, you kind of mentioned about, you know, the students, um, you know, what are they doing? How can they get involved? I've seen our middle school, high school and college students in our advocacy focus area going to our state lobby days and talking to legislators. Yes, middle school, high school and college students doing this, saying that, 
you know, they want to encourage this bill to be passed because it'll do this in the fight against cancer. I've seen them, you know, signing petitions and, you know, filling out different forms just to help spread the word. And, you know, we've seen some great success in that. And our youth are so passionate about that. So for our, again, middle school, high school, college, it's those American Cancer Society on campus chapters. And then for all those age demographics, it's our youth sports program. So we're asking our, you know, those, they're already committed to their sports team. Can they pick a game to designate, you know, funds to the American Cancer Society? And what makes the most sense? My thing is always to them, keep it exciting, keep it fun, but keep it easy. Don't, you know, don't go over the top, keep it fun, keep it easy and make a difference. Um, and if you keep it exciting, then it's an easier program and you're going to want to get involved. We also have, you know, I always want to touch on, you know, as we're moving to, you know, our new world and we've, you know, definitely gone more digital. We've seen a lot of our students coming into that streaming world where we're seeing students that are streaming while they're playing video games or they're doing other activations and they're asking their viewers to donate to the American Cancer Society. I always say here in my role, there is something for everybody, no matter what their talent or their skills are or what they're excited about, there's a way to fundraise with the American Cancer Society. So good to hear, Dylan. That is, you know, it's so good to hear that, um, you know, you're you're there in the, on, on the front lines quite literally with these young people. And uh, it's nice to hear that the, their activism is, uh, is, is, so, uh, is, is so exciting. So, Paul, um, you know, the list is a mile long when it comes to types of cancers, uh, lung cancer and your friend Joe with melanoma, breast cancer, you know, which is uh, osteoporosis, prostate cancer, colon cancer. The list is a mile long. Um, does red card cancer, do you have a focus on a particular cancer or is this more a broad approach to eradicating cancer in general? Uh, it, it, what it is, Gio, I'm going to kind of make the relationship to the game of soccer that you know so well. Uh, soccer played in Massachusetts high school level. Let's just stay at that level could look different than what it's played in Miami, Florida. And it's going to look different than if I was in Senegal or in Birmingham, England. But at the end of the day, there's still a goal at each end. There's a round ball. And cancer's the same way, whether it's the thyroid cancer you mentioned with your mom, Joe with melanoma. And it's interesting how Dylan referenced awareness of the skin cancer, um, pancreatic cancer, breast cancer, all the ones we mentioned. And the list could go on and on. And there's a lot of great work being done to support each individual cancer. But I look at soccer as a global game. And at the end of the day, whether uh, high school soccer is played wherever around the world, there's still two goals at each end with a round ball. And, and cancer is the same way. So we're about cancer research because the belief is if we can find a cure, for, perhaps for one, that it's only going to continue as we tackle all the different types of cancer. And there's always new things coming up, you know, kind of a challenge to our doctors, but with the support of red car cancer through cancer research, hopefully someday even the playing field. So we don't have to talk about different types of cancers or colors of this cancer support other. Uh, it, it's it's something that we can look forward to, and hopefully it's through the cancer research that is what red card cancer has been about from day one. Paul, let's talk a moment about uh, your presence, red card cancer presence. Um, share with my audience some of the you know the events that you're in, involved with, 
um, some of the venues where you know red card cancer has a presence. Uh, I know you've, you've uh, you have the red card cancer cup. What are some of the, the things that you're involved with? What, are, what is the red card cancer presence uh, at different events and uh, at venues? Well, it was interesting hearing Dylan talk because a couple of times I wanted to jump in something. Well, what a great idea. And I think that's what is so special. Anytime you get on a, on a podcast like this or just sitting around having some coffee with a group of people, different ideas spark new ideas. And, um, it's interesting because, as I said, in 2007, when I started this, I didn't know what I was doing. I still say this today. I'm a soccer coach. Some people debate that. Uh, but that's what I did for my whole life. But so I don't have experience in, you know, we have our board of directors. We made up of some outstanding people in the game. You know many of them. Marshall McDermott being one, um, you know, who's worked with our women's national teams. But it's pretty much been a grassroots effort, but it's the grassroots efforts that have sustained us for all these years. Um, as Dylan talked about some of the different programming they have from the elementary to the high school to the collegiate level, um, just like I look at the game being different where it's played throughout the world, I like the idea of keeping events unique to the group that creates the event. For instance, we have red car cancer events. Uh, I was at our national convention where I know I ran into again. It was great to see you. And I was talking to a high school coach that mobilized the Lancaster Levin League in Pennsylvania, the teams. And I don't know how he did it, but he presented us a check with $18,000. And that's one league in Pennsylvania. Think if that continued. So I was asking Dave Hartlop, I said, Dave, how do you do it? And he told me it was t shirt sales. And again, the use of social media to spark that interest, uh, to support the cause. And then we've had challenges. Uh, our good friend Mike Noonan down at Clemson many years ago supported uh, a preseason friendly where they challenged uh, another university who could raise the most money. And on the day of uh, the game, uh, maybe perhaps one team took a 2-0 loss, but they raised more money, so they won the Red Card Cancer Cup. Uh, we're a presence wherever people want us to be a presence and we'll support you. And that's what's exciting for us, having the American Cancer Society help us in that support. Um, We don't have any full-time employees and never have. It's been a grassroots effort that's just continued because I think the importance of the message, and as you said from the very beginning, cancer affects us all. I wish we had full-time staff that we could blow this up so that we are the the name in the soccer community for supporting cancer research. There's a lot of great programming out there. So um, we've been, I still have a picture on my phone of RFK Stadium, Germany and U.S. walking out and under the banner of red card cancer. It's, it, that was special to me to see that. I think what I began because of a friend dying of cancer in 2007, led to that. So uh, red card cancer can be an event anywhere somebody can dream it and do it. Dylan's point, make it fun, keep it simple, and be committed to the cause. If somebody wanted to, you know, your youth soccer organization, your high school club, uh, college, whatever, and you're listening to this podcast and you're learning about red card cancer and you go, huh, this, this is something that I, I think we'd like to do. Um, is there an information packet? Is there a, a, a mechanism by which they could then, 
you know, get something from Red Card Can't say, okay, this is this is how we set it up. This is how it's supposed to run. Because um, I'm assuming, I mean, you don't just don't want you know renegade you know uh, organizations out there just kind of doing it willy nilly. Is there something formal, something standardized that that folks can can access to ensure that it meets the criteria and the standards um, of Red Card Cancer? Yeah, so I could take that one. So sure. we just launched our 2023 fundraising website. So any soccer coaches, any, you know, soccer players, et cetera, that are interested in starting a red card cancer, um, you know, a team and having, you know, a game designated to the American Cancer Society, you know, with red card cancer. Um, as Paul said, we want this to grow in 2023 and we're going to make it happen. We're really excited about this opportunity. So we just launched the national fundraising website. So anybody can get to that by visiting redcardcanceracs.org. Again, that's redcardcanceracs.org. The great thing is you can go right to that page. You can find information about, you know, how to sign up. Even if you don't want to sign up and you just want to make a donation to the program, there's just a quick donate button as well. Um, there's information about, you know, like I said, our partnership. You can see, you know, any resources such as a toolkit, it's going to be posted there as well. And the other great thing is you can see the nationwide fundraising progress. So you can see it all there. And you're also going to be able to see all of the teams that are registered. So as you register and fundraise, you're going to be able to see and even see, you know, you know, who's the highest, who's here, you know, what other you know, teams across the nation are signed up. So that's the other great feature. So we're really excited about this fundraising website. Again, all teams can go there, even if they want to just donate by cash or check. Instructions will be there as well. And um, Paul and I are really excited about that and to be able to recognize those teams and see at the end of this year, you know, how much we raise through this partnership. So again, it's that one nationwide website and then there's contact information for us as well. Aside from an individual making a donation, uh, can one person say they're inspired by all of this? One person kind of run with it. What, what can an individual do aside from a donation? I'm not minimizing the donation. I want people to donate. Um, but what can one person do formally um, uh, to, to jump on board with this? Yeah. For, uh, and uh, one thing I want to make a point that Dylan, what I'm excited about is the American Cancer Society has the infrastructure. Red card cancer and its mission, and so everything he said, you know, supported 100%. They reached out to me, and I was excited that an organization like Merck Cancer Society wanted to support us and its mission. But I just thought of another, and here's what's so unique: sit around. And, uh, as I said, I'm always amazed when people say, "Hey, can I do this?" And I'm like, "Well, why can't you? Don't wait for an answer. Yes, do you want it to be?" the right reasons and that's to raise money cancer research through red car cancer through the American Cancer Society. I had a coach, Gio, you know this, we do coaching education courses and go back to how to get involved with young kids. And I'm always stressing to coaches that we as players and coaches need to give back to the game, game that's treated us so well. And I had a youth coach who said, I'm going to ask my boss for every goal my U12 boys score, would he donate $5? Like a great idea. He calls me at the end of the season. He goes, don't worry, we won't score too many goals. We're not that good. 
at the end of the year, he calls me. He goes, well, I raised you $13,000. I'm like, well, how many goals did you score? Because you told me you're not that good. Well, he went to his boss and asked for $5. His boss says, no, I'm going to give you $500. Now his boss owned a major company. I'm going to give you $500 for every goal your team scored. Don't ask me why, Paul. He said, but my team scored more goals than I thought they ever could. Uh, now, if I said, what a great idea. And that was a coach who just thought of it on his own, unique to his own team, his own players. So I think the possibilities are endless. Having the American Cancer Society to bounce ideas off along with myself, you know, we can kind of guide you, but I still think it's that uniqueness of creating that event. In high schools, you reference your high school coaching uh, career and teaching. I was a high school teacher and coach for nine years. And uh, okay, the number of students that have done it for their senior project where states require senior projects for graduation, they've taken it upon themselves to uh, create their own red card cancer program, raised awareness, raised funds, but more important, Develop those leadership skills that Dylan talked about that we know are so important so that when they get to college, it continues. They leave and they get into the professional world, it continues, and then pass that message on down to the young people. And I mentioned, go ahead, I'm sorry. And I was going to say, I think, you know, you had mentioned about what can, you know, individuals do. Maybe it's not a, you know, it's one student that's very passionate, one player, one coach. And yes, of course, we're always going to say how important the fundraising is. But something to add as well is, we have the opportunity in this partnership to also spread, you know, cancer prevention activations, such as, you know, at these soccer games, you know, simple things, you know, could the students create posters that talk about sun safety or is there something to hand out as, you know, everybody's coming to the game? I mean, think about it. You go to a soccer game. How long are you outside? Okay. Did you, as simple as, you know, did you put sunscreen on the players, the coaches, the fans? Um, if you're there for two hours, you know, you should have reapplied by then as well. Um, just those simple things, you know, you know, what is, you know, good nutrition at a game? You know, how are they staying hydrated? Um, you know, those possibilities that are so simple because yes, we're talking fundraising, but we also want to make sure we're spreading the mission and those quick, simple activations to, you know, potentially save a life. You mentioned uh, Marsha McDermott a little while ago. I think, Paul, you brought it up. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong. She's a member of your board of directors. Right. You, have a, you have a distinguished group of folks uh, that are involved with here. Share with my audience, and I'll let either one of you take this, um, of some of the folks who are on your board of directors um, helping you spearhead this effort. Well, as I said, I was a novice. I was a soccer coach. And in 2009, Johns Hopkins Kimball Cancer Center reached out to me. They had been partnering with DC United in a very similar uh, named cancer uh, organization support group. And uh, they heard the story of how red card cancer came about because of my situation. We partnered with them and, and Dr. Bill Nelson, the head of the Kimmel Cancer Center, who was a former player at Yale. Uh, he's a soccer junkie, just happens, happens to be one of the leading cancer research doctors in the world. Uh, he's on our board along with Drew Larson. Drew was involved in the women's professional games and attorney out of Williamsburg. He's the brains for Paul Payne because, uh, as I keep saying, I'm a soccer coach. Uh, March McDermott, well-known in the in the soccer 
world for her time uh, working with Chicago in the Women's Professional League as a coach, as a player at UNC, and still involved in the game. Uh, Chris Branscombe from Eastern Pennsylvania Youth Soccer, uh, formerly with the United States Youth Soccer. So Chris has all contacts. Uh, and then Mike Wagner, who's involved in uh, soccer in the Baltimore area as well. So we have a, a strong group uh, committed to the cause. And uh, we're always looking for others to help in that mission. And, and I just want to touch upon one thing Dylan said, because it's interesting when you talk about sun care, skin care through sun exposure and think about our game. And I come back to Joe was melanoma. And it's that prevention that's so important that uh, will help us hopefully in the impact of cancer on our lives. Oh, so, yes, it, the board is, is active. But again, it's the individuals out there, whether it's listening to your show that we come in contact with or the young students that Dylan referenced that are really going to make red card cancer have an impact beyond what it's doing now. So you've had an impact financially on a number of organizations. Share with my audience some of the organizations that red card cancer has, has donated to. Primary ones, uh, because we see value in what they do, have been the Kimmel Cancer Research Center. And that was the original one. And then when the American Cancer Society came on, I was actually educate, educated quite a bit more than what I knew other than I knew. I think everybody's heard of American Cancer Society about all that they do uh, to support those that are affected by cancer or those that want to help to affect those that have been affected by cancer. So um, they're the two primary ones. And then we trust both of those organizations to use that money. So again, and it's literally in our bylaws, cancer research, so that as I said, we've never had a full-time employee, so money's raised goes straight to the cause. Um, but they're the primary organizations. And when you look at cancer world and people that are working to eradicate it, uh, and two of the biggest, the biggest. So uh, we're proud of that. I'm proud that they've found Paul Payne and Red Car Cancer. Not Paul Payne, but they found our organization and believe in its mission and support the mission. Just out of curiosity, a number of years ago during the Obama administration, uh, he had established the White House Cancer Moonshot, and uh, he appointed then Vice President uh, Joe Biden to to uh, to oversee that. Is that is? I'm just curious if that's still going on. I believe it is. Is that is that something you, you're you're kind of tied in with? You're you you've worked with you you've kind of fed off of. Um, and I guess I'm going to dovetail that question by asking. Are you doing anything with the federal government that uh, might help your cause? Geo, great questions. Um, I'll be honest because you know me. Yes, I do. Uh, we just never had the infrastructure and to sit there and write for the grants. And that's why having Dylan and the American Cancer Society behind us, I think it opened a lot of those doors and put us down those avenues to that kind of contact because my goodness gracious i would love everything you just spoke of i would love for us to be on their radar um so i'm gonna let dylan talk a little bit about some of the you know more well-established programming out there on the government level and such and then maybe perhaps how he sees 
how they can help Red Car be part of the conversation and with those big hitters. Yeah, absolutely. So I can touch on a few things first. So our um, the American Cancer Society, we also have our advocacy affiliate um, organization, which is the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network, or ACS CAN. So that, like I said, that is our nonpartisan organization to ACS, and they truly drive our advocacy efforts at, you know, our state level, our federal level, um, you know, all the way up when with the Cancer Moonshot that was, it is a partnership with the American Cancer Society being one of the, you know, the leading cancer organizations. So we do have a very big part in that. Um, our um, chief executive officer, Dr. Karen Knudsen, um, you know, she is meeting regularly as, as well as our ACS CAN president, Lisa LaCasse. So they do have those conversations. And because of that, and because of, you know, funding at the cancer level, you know, at that federal level, some more advancements have come. We've some national cancer roundtables have been stood up um, for different types of cancers. There's frequent meetings. And then something that we do every September is we do have a um, national leadership summit with ACS CAN, which is hosted in Washington, D.C. So our advocates advocates meet with all of the legislatives, you know, Senate, House, different organizations to talk about, you know, different issues that we see to make sure there's still funding in cancer research. Um, and then we also do an activity called Lights of Hope. So Lights of Hope is a um, campaign where individuals across the nation can purchase bags, um, luminaria bags, as we call them, in memory, honor, or support of somebody they know that has been affected by cancer. And we put all of those bags out one day in Washington, D.C. as a true testament to, um, to D.C. that, you know, why we do what we do and why we need to continue to do what we do. So I got to participate this year and it was amazing. You got to see the bags. Um, they were put out state by state. So you could walk around and see just the voices behind every bag and the symbolism of, you know, why cancer funding is so important. Um, and to be able to see, you know, loved ones names from all over. And, you know, that's the thing that I always say is, you know, we, we're true to it that cancer does not discriminate. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what your background is, you know, what stage of life you are. It can come after you at any age, whether it's you yourself or somebody that you know, somebody that you care for. Um, so there is a lot that we are doing with, you know, of course, always more to come. And there's definitely, as we're having these conversations, you know, some ideas in my head of, you know, how we can definitely make sure that in our partnerships with, you know, not just red card cancer, but you know, all of our youth partners of how are we making sure that our organizations are aligned and, you know, we're getting all of the voices heard at the table. You know, at the risk of sounding terribly naive, um, I would like to think that in, in, in these last few years of divided government, that there, there are issues that, that uh, get us through that division. And I've got to believe, again, call me naive, that this could be one of them. Because as I open the the segment here, that we all know someone who has been a, a victim of cancer, or they they succumb to it, or they're survivors of it. But you know, it it uh, it doesn't see Democrat, doesn't see Republican, doesn't see Independent, doesn't see anything. It just just sees you know a, a human body that of, of which it kind of it, it attaches itself to. Um, so I shall remain hopeful 
that uh, the things you just shared with with me and my audience uh, will permeate uh, those in government, both you know local, state, and national. That um, this is one of those things where folks can get together despite political differences and do the right thing and do some great things. Um, the things that that you and Paul have, have been uh, been talking about here. Um, so let's kind of end here, kind of where we began here. You, you started with you know uh, a cure is our goal. Um, do you monitor, you know, which particular cancers are, you know, we're making headway. And when I say we, we being the medical community, um, you know, uh, are there particular cancers you're seeing some, some real progress where we're, we're maybe not eradicating, or maybe we have eradicated, or we've really made a dent in relative to their presence? I will pass that on to Dylan. I, I know just from personal experience and having friendships some of the changes, I just worry because, as you said, we all have stories. My nephew passed away at the age of 27. He beat it for 10 years. And uh, what he went through with some of the radiation and such, it got to the point where he literally lost his voice. And uh, after he passed, I let some people know and that have worked with us in support of red car cancer. And interesting enough, Colin played high school soccer. And even when he couldn't play anymore, he was the, the manager for his high school team. And it was gut-wrenching. And I remember talking about the fact that he lost his voice because of the radiation. And they said, you know, since Colin was first treated, the progress in how we treat cancer, the type he had, he would never have had that uh, outcome. And like disability, is that the right word? I don't know. Uh, if he was, if he had gotten it 10 years later. So that was refreshing to hear that, yes, it's not an overnight cure. And I don't know if that will ever happen. But there's progress being made. Dylan may have more specific examples because that's the medical experts that uh, can share that. And as I said, I'm not. But I know people that murder cancer society. Uh, probably well aware of that. So Dylan, any that you know of specifically? Yeah, I can add a few things. So first and foremost, we actually just released our cancer facts and figures for 2023. So anybody can check those out by visiting cancer.org. So a couple just quick little notes for everybody. So from the peak of 1991 to now, we have actually seen a cancer death rate decrease. So a combined fall of 33%, which is pretty incredible. So just to give you know another number with that, um, it's averted an estimated 3.8 million deaths averted with this decrease. Um, the success of that is largely um, fewer people smoking, which is incredible that, you know, we can say that there's fewer people smoking, um, which, of course, you know, is it makes a decline in lung cancer and other smoking related cancers. So something there just to keep, you know, top of mind. The other one that I wanted to touch on, we have seen a, you know, a decrease in cervical cancer, and that is largely due to our um, our work with our HPV vaccination, which is incredible to say that there's a vaccine that can prevent up to six types of cancers. So in, again, you can see all of that on cancer.org, but definitely, you know, those are not the only two. Those are just, you know, the two that come right top of mind for me. Um, the other thing to make note with that is, you know, not only are we a funder of cancer research, but we're also a funder of 
support programs. So I mentioned Hope Lodge earlier. So because of our funding, we have places that patients can stay free of charge. You know, maybe they live in Pennsylvania, but their best treatment option, you know, is in the state of California. And we all know, you know, finding a hotel and having to stay for maybe a week or two, um, you know, can be expensive. We also have our road to recovery program. So maybe somebody needs to get treatment, but they have no one to get them there. So we have a volunteer driving program that a driver can come pick them up, take them to treatment, bring them back. Um, just another great program. And then the last two that I always say top of mind is we have our 1-800 number, which is 1-800-227-2345. And that is just our 24-7, 365 day a year, always available that anybody can call. They can ask any cancer-related question. Maybe they just had a conversation with their doctor and they're a little confused. Um, so they, you know, just by the results or what maybe something meant, and they just want to talk to somebody else. We have trained professionals, insurance questions that they're not sure about. We have somebody for that, or maybe they just need somebody to talk to. They're having a rough day. Maybe they had treatment or they were just found out somebody has been diagnosed. Um, they can just call and just talk, just have somebody to talk to. And then, you know, going back to our original first discussion about, you know, people being in their phones more, we've also added on cancer.org a live chat feature. So maybe you're not comfortable talking on the phone, but you're comfortable texting back and forth with somebody. That's an option there as well. All of these programs because of fundraising done such as, you know, through Red Card Cancer. Now, I know we, we've touched upon uh, a, a number of contact, uh, you know, places where, where, where people can go to kind of find to, to kind of wrap up the segment here. If people wanted to learn more about Red Card Cancer, American Cancer Society, what is the the, the best way to reach out? Are, uh, are there methods by which we can contact uh, either one of you to learn more? How, how does one person go about doing well, that in terms of contact? Gio, uh, first off. When I, when I hear what Dylan was sharing about what American Cancer Society does, and that's why partnering with them is so exciting for us because they do support us and, and can help support the cause. Um, I always give out my email to anybody, and I know I don't have the answers, but I know people that do have the answers and find the answers. Um, so you can still go to redcardcancer.org. Uh, which is our website, but I can tell you right now that if you go to the American Cancer Society, as Dylan said, and I'll have him repeat that, that they have more, I guess, of a structure to really find those answers to questions they may have, whether it's to support the cause or questions that says, in reference of what insurance questions should I ask when uh, someone is facing cancer in my family? But the individual connections always reach out to me at P-P-A-Y-N-E at B-L-O-O-M-U dot E-D-U. P-Pain at Bloom-U dot E-D-U. That's my personal email. Um, and I will always pass it on to people I, I know can help or at least help you find help. Um, and also just a connection because... You know, you know that soccer is just a brilliant, brilliant world that we live in, and we're all connected some way. You can be anywhere in the world, and I'll be in Thailand like I was one time, and I can be somebody that knew Giovanni Pacini. And uh, so 
I'm always excited to talk to people. And uh, and soccer is a great vehicle for that. Dylan, please, you share contacts that you know can help support uh, the cause and, and people that may have questions about it. Absolutely. So anybody interested in a in signing up for a red card cancer game or just donating to the red card cancer program. Again, that website is redcardcanceracs.org. Um, they can also email me for any red card cancer inquiries or, you know, if there's website issues or just have a question. Um, we have a box for this program. So it's just redcardcanceratcancer.org. And then again, as I referenced, all those great programs, or if you want to know what research is funded in each state, or just, you know, want to look into more information, it's just simply cancer.org. You know, uh, I can't think of a better way to have kicked off season eight of the GP Soccer Podcast um, with this conversation. I, I, I'm very proud that, that uh, you took the time to, to come on the show and, and talk about this. I have been, and I'm not just saying this. You, you have truly moved me uh, in terms of the work that you're doing. Uh, I am very pleased that that uh, it'll it'll be shared amongst uh, you know my audience. Um, I want to thank you both for taking the time for being on the GP Soccer Podcast and uh, and sharing your your personal stories, your professional stories, uh, and the efforts you're making relative to our our uh, our battle with the with with cancer. Giovanni, I want to thank you uh, on behalf of Red Card Cancer. And um, you and I've known each other for many years through coaching education. And I think sometimes we get so wrapped up about what's happening inside the white lines when the ball starts moving, but we can't forget that our game also involves what's happening outside the lines, uh, personally, professionally. So if red car cancer can make an impact, uh, that means a lot to me, but it means a lot to the game. It means a lot to everyone who's it's ever cancer or those that have suffered from cancer. Thank you, Gio. Amen, my friend. Amen. Our guest today has uh, been Dylan Artebel, who's the National Director of College and Youth Engagement for the American Cancer Society, and Paul Payne, who's the Red Card Cancer founder and chairman, and dare I say, a good friend, a very good friend and colleague uh, in the sport of soccer. Uh, we're going to break for a couple of commercial messages. You all know how that works. On the other side, we will re-engage. Welcome, welcome, everyone, to to a season eight, episode one of the GP Soccer Podcast. Don't you dare go anywhere. We'll catch you on the other side. In the Soccer Coaches Toolkit, those who teach the game will find a wealth of coaching activities to improve, stimulate, and provide enjoyment for players of all ages and abilities. UEFA B licensed coach and Chelsea FC Player Development Center head coach Rob Ellis has drawn on more than 20 years of soccer coaching and physical education teaching experience to provide only those activities he has successfully used time and time again to engage and inspire his players. Each activity is graded from beginner to advanced, and they foster fresh and exciting ideas to coach the main techniques and tactics of soccer. The 252 coaching activities included in the Soccer Coaches Toolkit are also accompanied by an easy-to-understand description and diagram. The activities require only basic coaching equipment, and can be adapted to challenge players of varying ability levels and needs. Soccer coaches at all levels of the game can use the activities to create one-off sessions for their players or use the activities to deliver regular sessions as part of a competitive training program. 
It is an ideal resource for both grassroots and elite youth coaches and will enhance both the players' and teams' development. The book is on sale worldwide and has scored a massive hit with professional coaches and players alike. Former Tottenham Hotspur youth coach John Rowan described the Soccer Coaches Toolkit as an astounding book. I consider it the Bible of soccer coaching. Head of Football Methodology at Monaco said of the Soccer Coaches Toolkit, it is a very useful book for coaches to widen their session database and provide variety in their coaching. Head of Soccer Development at Christ College Secondary School in London, Daniel Nielsen called the Soccer Coaches Toolkit a truly comprehensive library of drills and sessions for the whole spectrum of soccer techniques and tactics. In addition, the book has already been purchased and endorsed by former Wolverhampton Wanderers and Sunderland defender Jody Craddock, as well as ex-Leicester City striker Trevor Benjamin and Sutton United defender Joe Kizzy. The Soccer Coaches Toolkit is the ticket to a lifetime of soccer coaching ideas, a must-book to include in your soccer coaching library. Can't get enough soccer here in the GP Soccer Podcast? Would you like to hear a different twist on the game and still enjoy some terrific interviews, news, and analysis? Well, you can find Giovanni Puccini on his new show, Direct Kick, on WMEX AM 1510 every Tuesday night from 6 to 7 p.m. Catch the show live on your radio or streaming on WMEXBoston.com. So tune in to Direct Kick with host Giovanni Puccini on WMEX AM 1510, Tuesdays from 6 to 7 p.m. This is JP Della Camera from Fox Sports, and you're listening to the GP Soccer Podcast with host Giovanni Puccini. Welcome to the GP Soccer Podcast, English and European Football Roundup, with your host, Rob Ellis. Hi everybody, and greetings from England. My name is Rob Ellis, and I am here to keep you up to date with the key games, the key features, and the key events across the soccer landscape in England, the United Kingdom, and across the European shores. As the weeks go by, I'm going to help you explore the technical, the tactical, the psychological, and for those of you that want to dig a little bit deeper, some of the sociological and philosophical factors behind these key events. In our first edition, we're going to check in on the current form at the league leaders in the English Premier League, Arsenal, and the English Championship, Burnley. Moving on from here, I'm going to go through my first two mini case studies. Again, we're going to check in on the high-flying gunners and try to understand what is the key to their success. And also, we're going to try and take a look at why are Everton sinking so fast. With updates on the English FA Cup, and the English and Scottish League Cups, I hope to get you up to date fast. So let's get right into it. Let's take a look at Premier League leaders Arsenal. Well, in their last six games, they lost a 1-0 to Everton away, a 1-1 draw with Brentford, a 3-1 home defeat to Man City, and then a turnaround. A 4-2 away win against Aston Villa was followed by a 1-0 away win against Leicester, culminating in a 4-0 home thrashing 
though, against Everton. Now, it appeared like Arsenal were starting to wobble, but those three victories have re-established a five-point lead over Manchester City. However, we can't ignore Manchester United, whose scintillating form has surely turned this into a three-horse title race. At Arsenal, the mood seems to be one of hope and belief in a clearly talented team. Coach Mikel Arteta's antics in the dugout have recently caused a little bit of controversy, but it seems like his players are willing to run through brick walls for him. Home and away, Arsenal have won admirers. They try to dominate possession and play on the front foot, whether they are at home or away. They're currently playing a 4-2-3-1 formation, which seems to be cutting opposition's defences to shreds at will. At the top of the championship, Burnley have beaten Preston 3-0, drawn with Watford 1-1, beaten Luton 1-0. They then went on to draw with Millwall 1-1 and then demolished Huddersfield 4-0. Even though they've played one more game in second place Sheffield United, they are 12 points clear and it's hard to see the Blades challenging Burnley for the title. Even if third place Middlesbrough win all their remaining games, Burnley would only need six wins from their remaining 12 games to gain automatic promotion. Head coach Vincent Company has reinvented Burnley's playing style. It's vastly different from previous manager Sean Dice's approach. In their last game, Burnley had 76% possession against Huddersfield, which speaks volumes about their progressive, possession-based style of play. Company appears to have knitted together the old and the new. He's cleverly retained three or four of Daesh's favourites, but he's changed from a 4-4-2 to a 4-2-3-1 formation. Despite their open style of play, they've only conceded 28 goals in 34 games, which takes us back to the old adage that success is built on a solid defence. Around Burnley, the mood is of refreshment and a returning to where they belong, the Premier League. So let's take a deeper look at Arsenal. They've led the way for the vast majority of the season. Despite a slight recent wobble, the young squad seems to have used last season's capitulation to launch an unexpected but very real title bid. Even in the dark days of late Arsene Wenger and the transitional years of Unai Emre, Arsenal tried to retain an attacking mentality, but due to a weakening squad year on year, the inability to win matches through attacking caused a deep psychological trauma within the squad. Mikel Arteta has shown iron will and nerves of steel at key moments. He's dismissed Meza Ozil, Matteo Guendouzi and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, and this has restored faith in his spectacular young squad. The sceptics are waiting in the wings for a psychological meltdown, but will it happen? They've lost two of the key games this season, Manchester United away and Manchester City at home. But on the other side of the coin, they've dispatched Spurs home and away, and they've also beaten Manchester United and Liverpool at home, as well as Chelsea away. Despite injuries to key players Gabriel Jesus, Thomas Partey and Emil Smith-Rowe, and a slightly disappointing transfer window, Arteta has repeatedly backed the players that have performed for him. Arsenal do have a very tricky April ahead, and if a psychological trauma plays out in April, it could be fatal. But Arsenal want to end the trauma with all guns blazing. Their intent is to dominate an attack, 
And if they can do this, a huge black cloud will be lifted at the end of the season. At the opposite end of the Premier League table, we have Everton. Since the glory days of the mid to late 1980s, Everton have gone from a team that wanted to win the top honours to now a team that just wants to believe in a brighter future. The toxic relationship between the owners, the board and the fans has put a huge black cloud over Goodison Park. It's now surely one of the most difficult clubs in England or even European football to manage. The mega successful Carlo Ancelotti appeared to be working his magic at Everton, but with no realistic chance of silverware, he moved on. Rafa Benitez was bought in, but with his Liverpool links was always regarded as the black sheep. And Frank Lampard, despite being popular amongst Everton fans, seemed to be drowning fast by the end of his tenure. Everton have called on the mentally resilient Sean Dyche. He will surely bond with the fans and insist on discipline in all that he can control. And so what are the early signs? In terms of his team selection, it's very similar to Frank Lampard. He's trying to flood the central midfield with three central midfield players who are all very athletic, partly by design, but also due to very meagre striking options. With Dominic Calvert-Lewin either injured or not scoring, and other options, Neil Mopé and Ellis Sims, also failing to hit the back of the net, Everton are struggling for goals. In true Dyche style, Everton may have to rely on set pieces. Dyche's first game in charge saw a 1-0 win against high-flying Arsenal, and that goal came from a James Tarkovsky header from a corner. Dyche's early results are mixed. They beat Arsenal 1-0 on his first game. They then lost to Liverpool 2-0 before beating Leeds 1-0 and then losing to Villa 2-0 and Arsenal 4-0. These results indicate a small new manager bounce and it appears that the team are not broken. Before they played Arsenal, they played West Ham away. That was Lampard's last game where they had 68 possessions. So it suggests the team is still able to function. In most of Daishi's early games, they have at least shared possession against very tricky opposition. But the question is, how high can any team bounce without a goal-scoring option? In other news, Wednesday night was a night of shocks in the English FA Cup as League 2 Grimsby put out Premier League Southampton 2-1 to inflict more misery on the lowly Saints. Sheffield United's 1-0 victory over Tottenham appears to have sent Tottenham to another barren season. Without a trophy in 15 years and no FA Cup win since 1991, is this recent collapse another step towards the exit door for the prolific Harry Kane? On Sunday, in the English League Cup final, Manchester United beat Newcastle 2-0. It appears that Eric Ten Hag has galvanised Manchester United and they appear to finally be coming out of the transitional years of David Moyes, Louis van Gaal, Jose Mourinho, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Ralph Ranier. Manchester United look as good as they have done since Alex Ferguson. Since the departure of Cristiano Ronaldo, Marcus Rashford appears to be unstoppable. He seems to be scoring at will against any opposition. Many people are now asking the question, is he the best player in the world? The stats seem to 
prove this to be correct. And Marcus Rashford, everything he touches is just turning to gold. Ten Hag's bravery in dismissing Ronaldo may be the key factor in Rashford's liberation. We've seen it before in other Premier League teams. Down south, again, top of the league Arsenal, Mikel Arteta had a ruthless approach to Meza Ozil and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. At the time, controversial decisions, but since then, the team seems to be playing with no fear and the younger players and both teams have made huge steps without these overbearing superstars. And finally, on Sunday, Celtic beat Rangers 2-1 to win the Scottish League Cup for the seventh time in nine years as they continue to monopolise this competition. Celtic are looking strong in their pursuit of the Scottish Premier League crown and this win will just solidify their belief. Celtic, spearheaded by the prolific Kyogo Furuhashi and assisted by the talented Maeda and Hatate, all three Japanese stars. Coach Ange Postikoglu seems to have found some Japanese gems that look to be the deciding factor over Glasgow Rangers. Well, time flies and that's my time up. It's been a pleasure speaking to you all and I'm already looking forward to next time. Take care. Best wishes from London. See you all soon. Many thanks, Rob, for your report from across the pond. English Premier League and European soccer update, news and analysis. Something you folks can look forward to each and every week here on the GP Soccer Podcast. Well, that's our show for today. Uh, An exciting one. Season 8 kickoff, uh, episode 1, as I put it in the books. If you like what you heard, please tell everyone. You can follow the GP Soccer Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Linktree, and on my website at gpsoccerpodcast.com. And don't forget to tune into Direct Kick every Tuesday night from 6 to 7 p.m. on WMEX AM 1510 and streaming on WMEXBoston.com. This is your host, Giovanni Piccini, and I will catch you later.